Turn our attention now to Exodus 12, 21 to 32. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin. And touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this right as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he promised, you shall keep the service. And when your children say to you, is it the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover? Uh, it is rather the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshiped. Then the people of Israel went and did so, and as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. Now at midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive, who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, and he and all his servants and all the Egyptians and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. And then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel. Go, serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds, and as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. This is God's word. So when I was little, this was my best friend. That's me. Gosh, I was so cute. What happened? Gosh, 60 years will do that to you. Um, that's Lammy. I had Lammy for a long time. I, I, I treasured that little lamb. Um, it's a lot, of, a lot of anxiety, a lot of things I poured into that little lamb. Until it, until I loved the stuff, literally loved the stuffing out of it. It was kind of traumatic to see the disemboweled lamb of the little fluffy things coming out. But uh, but I was nineteen by then, so that you know that. Uh, but I, I show I show you that picture because it is it's just a very cute picture, and I like cute baby pictures. But I show you that because um, you know the the lamb is sort of the star of the show of what we read, although it's a substitute star. We'll get to that in a minute. It's, it's, it's kind of like, uh, have you ever seen Singing in the Rain? Great movie. One of my favorite movies. And uh, Gene Kelly, early in that movie, plays the stuntman, right? And uh, so there's these great scenes where the star that they don't want anything to happen to, right? Everything's in, And as soon as they're about to be blown up or the plane's about to fly in, substitute. And of course, Gene Kelly, who, you know, somebody out there, and he gets what the star deserved. Right, so we'll see that in a minute. 
This is this story, Passover story talked about is uh, pivotal for the identity of the Jewish people. For us, as we've come to understand what Jesus said about it, about himself, it's pivotal for us as Christians. See, the whole Bible, got to remember, the whole Bible speaks about Jesus. When Jesus was on the road to Emmaus right after his resurrection and he meets up in disguised form with two disciples and they're explaining to him what had happened in Jerusalem and Jesus goes and has a meal with them. Remember what he says? This is in uh, Luke 24. He says to these two disciples, Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scripture the things concerning himself. Would that have been a cool sermon to sit there and listen to. Starting with Moses, I think he probably could have gone back to Genesis 1, but he says he started with Moses, maybe Passover? I don't know. But he started and he begins to say, don't you see that in Moses, don't you see in the prophets, this was all about me. This entire Scripture, while there's lots of good principles in it, lots of great things to learn, it's not that there's no value in it apart from it, but the reason, its reason for being is to help see what life is about. And and this speaks of one man, speaks of Jesus. With that in mind, we read this story and I want to just point I want to just point three things out. There's so much we could say about this story. Three things I want to point out. I want to point out how important being a firstborn is in this story. I want to point out the distinction where it's made and where it's not made between Egyptians and Hebrews. And I want to talk about this substitution thing, Gene Kelly in Singing in the Rain. So Number one, the firstborn. One of the things that's very interesting, I don't know that I ever really paid attention to this, but throughout this story in Exodus, and really throughout so much of the Mosaic law, there's a lot of attention given to the firstborn. What Glenn read has a piece of that in here about uh, the firstborn children are mine. In these chapters that we looked at, Today and we only I only had Glenn read a portion of it, but in twelve thirteen, uh, they have this idea. Thirteen one, uh, Exodus thirteen one says, "The Lord says to Moses, consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever is first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine." Why? Why does that matter? Well, we, we're going to see the killing of the firstborn, so obviously there's, there's that. But there's this principle in here. And sometimes we look at it, it's called primogenitor, where, where you know, assets and liabilities and family names, often the oldest son is named after the father. Uh, in olden times, often they received the estate, right? We've seen Downton Abbey, right? Big part of that. The estate is received. It flows through the firstborn. Now, it's not that God says, 
This is not even the Bible says that's the way it should be. I think what's happening is God's trying to teach us something in a way that they would understand. That primogenitor is something that was across cultures. It wasn't a Hebrew thing. It was a, a world thing. Everybody practiced it. And it's become less and less, and probably for some very good reasons. I don't think, again, it's what God's trying to say, this is the way it should be. I think he's trying to teach us something through here. Part of the reason I say, why do you think it's not the way it should be? Because often he chooses not the oldest son to bless them. So I think there's something God's trying to teach us through that. However, he says, the firstborn are mine. And prior to when the Levitical priesthood was put in, the firstborn were the ones chosen to serve in the temple. It's very specific where once the Levitical priesthood comes in, it says you actually go and buy back your firstborn with five shekels. Firstborn, any firstborns here? You were worth five shekels, five shekels. All right. So you'd go and you'd buy your firstborn back symbolically and the priest would step in. So you think, well, gosh, what, what is going on here? Well, let me, let me try to unpack a little bit. The firstborn has a lot of responsibility, no doubt. Firstborn receives a double portion of all the inheritance of a blessing. There was a lot to be said for being the firstborn, but it also came with some responsibilities. And I think God is trying to say something here is that in his people, what does he call his whole people group, Israel? He says, you are my firstborn son. So I don't think he's really trying to make a distinction and say literally that the important thing here is that, you know, firstborn Joe and firstborn Glenda. He's trying to say, look, there's something precious, something important happens for the firstborn. And I'm telling you that I'm pouring into you the inheritance. I'm pouring into you things that I'm not pouring into anyone else. This is so important. I want you to see how valuable you are to me. He says this to Pharaoh, right? You've touched my firstborn, so I'm going to touch your firstborn. Your firstborn are mine. They got the privilege of serving in the presence of God in the temple. The firstborn were the ones called into God's presence. And here's an interesting scripture, which sometimes I think we just passed right over. But in Hebrews, uh, the Hebrews 12, verse 22, the writer of Hebrews says to the people, you have come to, to believers, followers of Christ, you've come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You've come in this joyful assembly, for you are the congregation of the firstborn. It says to all those who have come to know Christ, you receive the firstborn share, the best. Okay? Firstborn. Firstborn not only got the privilege, but there's also a debt borne by the firstborn. Obligations. When someone died, the firstborn took on the obligation of the debt. So there's something here, and the Bible's not crystal clear on the way this played out in ancient times, but we see some hints of it where you would be, it would be understood that as the firstborn, if, there was, if the family had been shamed, fallen short, the firstborn would pay the price. People think sometimes when Abraham and Isaac, that it, was, that it wouldn't have shocked Abraham in one sense to say, give me your son, because it was mine. The Lord owned that firstborn. It was mine. 
And maybe Abraham knew that somehow he'd fallen short. Who knows? We don't know exactly. We see Hannah giving firstborn Samuel to the Lord. There's this sense of your firstborn are mine. Okay, hold that thought. Here the Hebrew people are, and they've been oppressed, right? By one of the most powerful civilizations on earth. The Egyptians at the time that this occurred were at the pinnacle, certainly, of that part of the world. And God comes in and says, you've touched my firstborn. And he says, let my people go. They were called to a bigger story, to a bigger picture. God has called his people, his firstborn, to reflect him. Just like we often see in John Quarles III, I give you my name. They often would, you'd see in the sun the reflection of the Father. I want you to thrive. And Egypt was preventing them from thriving. And so, God comes in and he begins to have these plagues on Israel. Several of the plagues, interestingly enough, it says, I'm going to do this specifically to the Egyptians, but not to the Hebrews. Cattle. Cattle are going to die. The Egyptian cattle are going to die. Hebrew cattle aren't going to die. Hail. Another one says, the hail is going to fall in Cairo. No hail in Goshen. wasn't Cairo at the time, but in that area. No hail in Goshen where the people are. I'm going to make a distinction. The tenth plague, this plague that we talked about today, the most horrific death, consequence, the debt of sin that's owed by the Egyptians is going to come upon the firstborn. But interestingly enough, what we read was the destroyer is coming to everybody's house. Now, here's my question. Couldn't God just say, death's coming to the firstborn houses of of the Egyptians? Did, Did God not know, like, where the Hebrews lived? Doesn't have their dress, like, he knew. Remember, the whole scripture teaches us. Everything written in scripture teaches us something about Jesus. Because the destroyer comes to everybody's house. The God's judgment, the, dis- the destruction, the death, the wrath of God that is wreaked against all unrighteousness, the debt of sin... Hebrews were not a perfect people. They owed it as well. The destroyer came to every house. What do we read? Let's go back to what uh, that portion that Glenn read at the end of uh, Exodus 12. And we, we see, he says in verse 23, The Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lintel, the doorpost, the top, the sides of the doorpost, the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to enter your houses. So the destroyer came to every house. The judgment of God comes to everyone. The wages of sin is death. And all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Right? We're all there. And we see it in our lives. We feel the pain of sin. We see it in our own lives, and we we know it's there. The question is, what are we going to do about it? So here we have this incredible 
power, this destruction, this wrath coming upon the most mighty civilization in the world. And the only thing that stands between you and death by the destroyer is what? It's Lammy. It's a, it's a, it's a little quadruped. It's a little fluffy quadruped. That stands between. Really? The lamb? Believe me, I never thought Lammy was going to save me from anything, right? I just wanted to hug him when it was dark and I was scared. Lammy? Really? God's righteous judgment falls is a very interesting phrase that I've... There was not a house in verse 30. Exodus 12, verse 30. There was not a house where someone was not dead. Do you realize that was true of every house? It was either a firstborn son or a lamb. I hate to be graphic about it, but the scripture is here. Because see, you can say, well, why why didn't God just take care of the Egyptian problem? Because this wasn't solely about oppression. It was. It was to release Israel. That was the byproduct. That was going to be the freedom that the people were experiencing. But the judgment came upon all. And remember, every bit of Scripture points us to this ultimate truth of who Jesus Christ is. So the third, so we have the the firstborn, have the distinction made and not made. We have now this substitution. So if this came out of left field and like this is the only time we'd ever seen this idea of substitution, it might strike us as a little strange, but of course it doesn't. Right? Starts back in Cain and Abel, the very first sacrifice where Cain's sacrifice is acceptable because he takes the firstborn of the flock. And then Abraham taking his son, his firstborn. And you can say Ishmael was the firstborn, but that's a different story. I think Isaac is really because of the situation considered firstborn, but we can, we can argue that one later. Takes his firstborn. And interesting, that whole story, so interesting, because God says, as he's taking his son up, and, and, and says, Dad, where's the sacrifice? So obviously, he knew about this. And what does Abraham say? He says, God himself will provide the lamb. Did God provide a lamb for the sacrifice that day? No, he provided a ram. I think that's kind of interesting. I won't make too much of that because the scripture doesn't make a huge distinction, but I think it's interesting that he was anticipating a lamb sacrifice Abraham long before Moses, right? So here comes now this lamb. And this lamb offers its life to the extent a lamb can offer it. And those who were obedient to God to say, I can't, I can't keep the destroyer away. I need somebody to do it for me. Now they could have, I'm sure there were Hebrews who 
might have thought, well, I mean, I, I'll, I'll take it. I'll, I'll stand in the place. I, I'll, you know, maybe. But it says they were basically obedient to do what God had called to do and the destroyer passed over the house. Now we have Jesus sitting at a meal 1,500, 1,800, whatever years later and saying, okay, here's this bread and here's this wine. It's the Passover meal. They take this break in the middle of verse 12 and they basically in 13 and they give a little exegesis on Passover and how you're supposed to practice it and all that stuff. And it's like, this is a really dramatic story. And now you're like, okay, boiled and roasted with bitter herbs. And it's like, really? Something is super important here that they would take time to explain this is for future generations to remind us. And Jesus stands in front of his disciples and he says, here's the bread and here's the wine. This is what we'll do next week. And he says, here's the Passover meal. Except can I tell you that in none of the gospels, is there a lamb mentioned at all at that Passover meal? Would would that have seemed strange? I don't know. Maybe there was a lamb, but it's kind of interesting to me. The gospel never says there's a lamb at that meal. Maybe the lamb wasn't on the table. Maybe the lamb was sitting at the table. I don't know. But none of the gospel writers, they they mention the bread and wine, which are all part of the Passover meal, but not the lamb. And he says, reinterpreting this most important festival, and he says, this is my broken body. It's not the lamb's broken body, the little furry quadruped's broken body. This is my broken body that I'm sacrificing for you. Because that's what love does. First John says, this is how we know what love is. That Jesus Christ laid down His life for us. John 3.16. First John 3.16. You want to know what love is? In a world that has no idea what love is often, that Jesus Christ became the Lamb Because all we like sheep had gone astray and we've turned everyone to our own way and there's a price to be paid because justice and holiness can't be ignored. It is God's character. And so he says, I make provision for anyone who will say, I need you, Lord. I need that lamb. John the Baptist saying, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In Revelation, the the final picture in all of Revelation at the marriage supper of the what? Of the Lamb. This Lamb who died, slain for us, and rose again. This is why our faith doesn't hang on whether it works the principles of Christianity. There's parts of the Bible that people say, oh yeah, I like that love your neighbor stuff, but that's what what we need is reconciliation with a holy God, which paves the way for reconciliation with each other. And our world is obviously desperately ignorant about how we're going to be reconciled if we think we're going to start with human to human without first 
being reconciled to our Heavenly Father. Because when we all come to the marriage supper of the Lamb, it says every tribe, every tongue, every ethnicity, every race, every creed. We all come and we sit at the Lamb's table. And there's no distinction. We are reconciled to one another. And even the lion lays down with the lamb. Maybe I'll see Lammy again. As Abraham walks up the hill and has Isaac carry the wood. I'm sure praying, hoping, maybe knowing, I don't know what Abraham knew, that God would provide a lamb. When God took his son up a hill with wood on his back, nobody stopped the knife and there was a lamb provided, but it was the lamb who carried the wood. This is the gospel. This makes you a firstborn son. Daughters, your firstborn sons. The opportunity to be the recipient of every inheritance of every grace is yours for simply acknowledging that there's no distinction between Egyptian and Hebrew when it comes to the destroyer except Lammy. The Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. He did then, He does now. Your sin, my sin. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank You that in this Passover we have the picture of Jesus so clearly and that you speak of firstborn and lambs and wrath. You speak of it throughout the Scripture. It's just riddled in Scripture with this. And Lord, as you interpreted to those two disciples on the road to Emmaus, all these Scriptures concerning yourself, open our eyes to see that our greatest need is to be loved by the Lamb. And then in trying to straighten ourselves out, we stop you from doing the major straightening, which is seeing you die for us. Lord, how could it be? How could it be that you would die for us? Well, this is what love is. And because of that, we who now live forever, we who have been loved by you can now turn around and love others and lay our lives down for them because we have no fear. Because what you have done for us, Lamb of God, we get as firstborn children, brothers of the ultimate firstborn son, we get to reflect to a broken world in such need of reconciliation. So, Lord, let us extend ourselves and lay ourselves upon the altar. Even as the Lamb was laid upon the altar, Lord, we make a spiritual sacrifice of our lives to Your glory. We know the world's not going to love us, but we can love them. We can love all because You have loved us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, we're going to close thanking our Father for the firstborn Son. On this Father's Day, we're going to thank the Lord as we end.
that his fatherly love was so deep for us, vast beyond all measure. Would you stand with me, please, as we close?